Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. I hope that you're staying happy, healthy, and safe. It's a big show. Let's not mess around. Let's get right at it. Later on, we're going to meet multi-hyphenate Kevin Smith. He's a filmmaker, an actor, a comedian, a comic book writer, an author, and a podcaster. You know his movies like Clerks, Dogma, and Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Now, he adds another hyphen to his resume, Documentary Subject. The film, Clerk, now on VOD, is a documentary that touches on every aspect of his work, from the film that put him on the map to the View Askewniverse, I'll tell you all about that a little bit later on, to his health problems and a newfound self-awareness. But that's later on in the show. First, let's get to know Jan Arden. With 19 top 10 singles like Could I Be Your Girl, I Would Die For You, and Insensitive, she is one of Canada's best-known singer-songwriters. She's written five books and even has a hit sitcom on CTV called Jan. Her latest project is an album of new material called Descendant, a 15-song collection that represents the last 18 months of her life and of her headspace. Jan Arden joined me via Zoom from her home outside of Calgary to talk about making music during the pandemic, why she has blocked 13,000 people on Twitter in the last two years, and much more. Here's Jan Arden. Was I never 13, living in my parents' house? My father drank to wash away his pain, while my mother paced around the bedroom floor. Was I ever 15? Thanks for taking some time to uh, talk Richard, to me Richard, come on. <laughs> I love a quote that you have here where you say, as the entire world has discovered, good things come out of bad things. And when I read that you said that, I was thinking to myself, of course, if we don't learn how to adapt during a time like this, then what was it all for? We're going to sit inside for two years and and not feel different on the way out. Uh, this pandemic, I think, probably obviously affected the making of the record. But what has it done for you personally? Slowed me down for sure. I think I'm a much better version of myself two years later than I was before. I think you, if you have not gathered and held gratitude close to your heart and really understood what gratitude is and really taking the time to think about what it means to you and never mind that, but what it means to the people who know and love you, but also to the people who don't know you at all, because gratitude includes everyone in your life, not just the people that you like and know, but the guy who's parking stock parking stall that you stole or the guy that you think is such in the grocery store because he doesn't have his mask on. So you got to figure out how to make your way through life without feeling constantly adversarial and filled with rage um you know because this has been a very divisive time but it's hard to know if we've overreacted if we've underreacted if we've done the right thing so so time has to go by in the meantime we need to be nice to each other it's taught me a lesson in nuance right a lesson in uh, having a look at what's going on around me and not automatically jumping to one side or another. I mean, there's been some missteps here for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, from everything from how they've rolled out vaccines, mandating, you know, the passporty type things, how they've split 
you know, separated people out. Like none of it was done. And like you say, nuance being the word, none of it was done with a lot of nuance. A lot of it was done with the us and them mentality that has just not worked on any level. It's just not worked. Um, and we were already politically detached from each other because of what happened to our neighbors in the past and certainly what's been going cursing through the veins of Canada the last decade. I mean, uh, I don't, to me, there's so many weird political things now too. And then we've added this on top of it, which somehow became another political issue that <laughs> if you were one thing, you were this political party. And if you were another thing, you were another political party. None of it made sense to me. But at the end of the day, I think we all leaned into the arts, Richard, and we mm -hmm. all leaned into music and we all realized how much art and music and film and television, how much it enhanced human life because you know, even if you were in a little condo and had a small computer scheme to look at, it saved you from certain lunacy yep. for initially those first few months, for sure. Was that sort of top of mind for you when you were planning on making this new record? You were thinking about putting new music out there as a way of, no. of giving something back? No, no, it was it was I, I wish it was that kind of an altruistic <laughs> train of thought, but it yeah. was just uh I think I've always needed to be purposeful. I'm not a person that can sit on their hands. I certainly did um, those first two couple of months. And then I just thought, oh, I just need to be creative. And, mm -hmm. and Russ Broom, my, my co-producer, co-writer, has a little tiny studio in town. And we really leaned into each other and spent so many hours just playing with grooves and doing stuff and working on songs. And we wrote a lot of songs. And then Bob Rock, of course, um, kind of at the halfway point, we started writing between here and Maui. I'm just outside of Calgary. And um, just because of COVID, uh, it, Russell and I ended up producing the stuff that we worked on. And then Bob produced the stuff that I wrote with him. And then he mixed all the stuff out. And it, this all was kind of pieced together somehow. Yeah. Everybody's got ghosts in the closet, hopes that they didn't fulfill. Everybody's got weight hanging off of their heels. Everybody's got lies they believe in, tales that seem better to tell. I didn't think I was making a record. Mm -hmm. I just thought I was being creative and doing things. You're listening to Jan Arden on The Richard Krause Show. Her new album, Descendant, is available now wherever you legally download and buy music. But I think it was a really cool way to make a record. I learned a lot from being inventive and being not having everything available to me and having to do this. And at one point, there's one of the songs called Pink, there's a choir and I became the choir. So, you know, it's like, you just have to rethink it. Yeah. We were built for change. We were built for this. This is what human beings do. Everything that's happened to us in the last two years, that's what people do. Hello, welcome to the cosmos. Tell me a little bit about writing songs remotely. I just watched, or not just, a couple of months ago, watched all eight hours of the Beatles Get Back documentary, and I saw the sparks literally flying between each of 
the Beatles as they were slowly taking a song that started off as three chords and then all of a sudden Ringo would add something, John, and it just, you could see that being built in front of you. Tell me what's different about that, doing it remotely, or is it the same and you're just working in a different way? I think it's very much the same. That energy is very much the same, whether a person is in the room with you or not. So that was surprising to me. Yeah. Uh, I've certainly had riffs and things sent to me. My piano player, Darcy, <clears throat> has always sent me things online. He lives in Victoria. So I've actually never been in a room with him and written with him. <laughs> so I was used to that. And when I write on my own, you know, it's, 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 uh, it, it feels the same. There's something very familiar about making up music. Mm. I don't read music, so I don't have any of that stuff going on. Oh. I, I don't know what it all means. And I, I think I'm too old to learn at this point now. I know that sounds really defeatist, but <laughs> I, I don't really have the desire to learn treble clefs and bass clefs and, I don't care if I know what the chords are on the guitar. It doesn't bother me. So, but I think it just, if there's a will, there's a way those old adage and you know, that showbiz classics saying the show must go on. Mm -hmm. And well, Paul, I just Paul. knew that I wasn't going to sit idle. So I just didn't sit idle. I just was really, it was a very creative time for me. Uh, we recorded and shot the third, not recorded rather filmed, the third season of the Jan show. We did that right in the middle of the pandemic. It was before anyone was vaccinated. So we had basically these specialists that had flown in that basically worked Ebola somewhere in Africa <laughs> that were schooling us on how to not kill each other during the shooting of the third season. I'll never forget it as long as I live. Were there things you had to learn? Like, were you standing, were there camera tricks so that you, it looked like you were standing closer together than you actually were by the placement of the camera and that sort of thing? I think you're not wrong as far as the, the, the inclusion of extras. Mm. Uh, there looked like there was more people than there was. Um, but we were constantly tested because that's the only thing we had. We didn't have vaccines yet. And so we were, there was no rapid test. We were doing PCR nasal tests three, four times a week. And we just, we didn't have one incident. Yeah. We all wore masks and we ate by ourselves. We ate in our trailers and we kept the storylines. Like you said, Richard, you just made it look like there was more, I think, going on than there was. But the cast, we all sat with our masks on until we actually shot a scene. Right. And then as soon as the scene was done, we had somebody, usually assistant director, the second AD was yelling, masks on, goggles on, like it was constant. And everyone was rolling their eyeballs, but we, we did it and we didn't have one single problem. So it was a really creative time and I loved crawling into my own bed. What is it about performing live that you miss? I don't think I've missed it. <laughs> <laughs> I am the antithesis of that. I know so many people are like the stage is my life. And right. you hear that, you hear those conversations, that constant, I don't know, about the stage. And that's where I live. That's where I'm most comfortable. I'm like, <laughs> really? I love writing music and I love recording music and I do really love 
singing for people and having some laughs and communicating that just having that really free form show. Like I, we never plan anything. Mm. The, the set list is planned. And of course, all the lighting cues and the, all that stuff. Have you gotten reaction from fans and, and anyone about the album just yet? I've had so many messages and um, the stuff for Was I Ever 13 has just been pouring in the last week. So I'm really glad that people could, I thought it was so specific to me growing up where I grew up in a tumultuous household and my dad's drinking and my brother huffing gasoline and, and just feeling so uncertain, but people have, I've had so many messages. So that was a really neat experience. They're like, Oh my God, that was my life. I'm like, what? I think often uh, the more specific the story, weirdly, the more universal it can really be because while the specifics of it might be, slightly different the feeling of trauma the feeling of of you know the the lyrics and, and what comes through the lyrics uh, will resonate with people yeah i was really surprised by that you know another good mother was always a big surprise for me as well because i thought it was so specific mm -hmm. to me about liking the color of my hair and and just just things and and i mean i've had thousands and thousands of letters about that song and it's been used at so many weddings and funerals and but yeah I, I i learned a lesson about that too about the specificness but that people they want to be able to to speak themselves and a lot of times music does that for people that don't necessarily write or write poetry or write journals they can put a song on and go that's what i feel like I've been told by several songwriters who have had big hits uh, that it's not the big hits. It's not the, the the chart positions. That's the gratifying things. It's when people come up and say, as you just said, I used your song at my wedding. We played your song at my mother's funeral. We, you know, and the personal stories that are gratifying. Is that it for you? Yeah. I think that's been so mind blowing is the specificness. Yeah of of stories and where they were and who they were with and what happened and who they met and what was going on like it's very detail oriented it's never vague it's mm. never a general blanket thing and if it is it's usually not true <laughs> you know yeah it, it's it's the detail i think that is is been really uh made my heart so much bigger yeah. because we're just all in it together. Right. And that's kind of coming full circle from the, where we started on this conversation. We are all just in this together, trying to muddle our way through it the best way we can. Here's hoping as we move forward, I, I hope we, we find some way back together. Like I hope the vaxxed, unvaxxed, red, blue, purple, whatever. I hope, people find what connects them. I still have faith, music does that. I mean, you can look out at an artist playing, you could go to a Grateful Dead concert and I'll tell you right now, there was no political lines drawn in the sand. There was music loving, just life loving people that were so happy to be there, to be in a shared experience, which is what human life is about. It's not a solitary endeavor, it's a shared, experience and that's what's been 
that that's been the vacuum for most of us this last two years. You're listening to Jan Arden on the Richard Krauss Show. Her new album, Descendant, is available now wherever you legally download and buy music. Well, thanks so much for this, Jan. I, one last thing, it's not a question, but I was looking at some stuff uh, that's been printed about you uh, recently, and you're called a compelling Calgarian in the Calgary Herald. Who wrote that? I don't know. It was a headline that I saw. A compelling Calgarian. Well, that's insulting, isn't it? <laughs> well, I don't know. I thought it was kind of sweet in a way. They hate me here. Do they? Well, there's a g- large number of people that do not like outspoken women. I will never shut up. I've been told, here. here's the province that says shut up and saying a lot. It's just like, do you know what year that came from? But I, I'm trying to endear myself and kind of come back around. I don't like the present government. I've made no bones about it. But now I'm not the only one. The rest of the province was like, oh, you know, maybe she had a point there. Yeah, at one point when Chris and I went out, we had a book coming out and I had sort of locked horns with them, the, the, the certain political party. We had to get extra security. And I'm out talking about a book about Alzheimer's with my yeah. mother. I'm just like, I couldn't have been more benign, but yeah, we needed extra security for that. Wow. But anyway, I'm never going to shut up. Well, I hope not. And I'm sorry to hear about the extra security that you had to have, but I would take it as a badge of honor if you're still pissing people off. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you can't you you can't not. And it's not the majority of the people. It's certainly a minority. I, I just I hit a nerve. Yeah. And it might be because I'm female. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion it is. And they're just and if there's something about being a singer-songwriter that you are really not allowed to have a political opinion at all. I have no political aspirations, but I'm still a political person Mm -hmm. because if you have an opinion, you are indeed a political person. Well, see, I, and I don't get why performers aren't supposed to have political opinions. Uh, you, uh, pay taxes like everybody else. You are in the world, like everybody else decisions that are made by government affect you just as much as anybody else. I don't know. I think it's because we wield a certain amount of power. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because we have access to masses and that makes people nervous. Right. So all they can do is really hurl fat jokes or say something derogatory. They're, the, the insults are, they, they only have a bag of about 10 to choose from. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, they're, they're not witty or clever. I, I would give them points for that. I would actually stop and probably reply to them if it was the least bit inventive. <laughs> so I think, when you're dealing with most of the people walking the planet that have no access, that anything they put on Twitter is actually not read or seen by anyone. And it, it, it's just, it causes this thing. So they attach themselves to somebody that does, and that's how they get any attention. Um, and usually if I go on there and look at a profile, it's exactly the same every time. And it makes me sad because obviously there's, there's something that's just, but it's, it's all laid out. There's no surprises, Richard. It's very, there's just, there's no surprises. It doesn't, I'm I'm always open to having a conversation. I really am. Um, But uh, I think I've blocked 12 or 13,000 people on Twitter in the last 
Yeah, I, I've blocked quite a few, not that many, but I, I find uh, that the people that come at me, uh, <laughs> when they come at me, you you look at their profile and they're always following way more people than are following them. That tells you something. There's a lot of those markers on there yeah. that are just, but it's kind of sad in a way. Yeah. Um, but, but that's, I like social media. I'll yeah. never be off of it. I. I, uh, I'm, I'm not a Facebook person. My office does all that stuff. It's just, I haven't been on there for years yeah. personally, but I know that they do a lot of work stuff on there. It's just a necessary evil these days, mm -hmm. but I love Twitter and I love Instagram. And I just, I'm in, I'm in trouble on there like once a month. If I'm not in trouble, I feel like I'm doing something wrong. That was my interview with Jan Arden. Her new album, Descendant, is available now wherever you legally download and buy music, and you can see her perform live starting in May on her national tour. Kevin Smith is a filmmaker, actor, comedian, comic book writer, author, and podcaster. You know his movies like Clerks, Dogma, and Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Now he adds another line on his resume documentary subject. The documentary Clerk, now on VOD, touches on every aspect of his work, from the film that put him on the map, to his health problems, and a newfound self-awareness. At a certain point, I gave up on Kevin Smith, filmmaker. Maybe it's because the critics were like, he's no filmmaker. I'm like, all right, they're right. But I got to a point where I'm like, I think I'm going to be so much more. I do actually think like he got where I wanted to be. Now I just want to be Kevin Smith. I want to be the Kevin Smithiest Kevin Smith I could be from now until the end of time because that's all they'll remember about me when I'm gone. Now I took away some life lessons from his life story and I asked him to tell me all about being the best version of yourself that you can be and much more in this interview done via Zoom. Here's Kevin Smith. The lesson that I learned is that you have to be the best you that you can be. Why did it take so long for you to realize that? What a great question, because um, I've often wondered myself, because that's like happens in 2006, at which point I will I was already in my career for like 12 years. Mm -hmm. So I'm coming up on, uh, well, I've now, Clerks happened 28 years ago, so I'm now, uh, ha I'm past double that number. Right. Um, so that was it, it, not even the halfway point of my career. Um, the nearest I can figure, is film infantilizes you, right? Um, you make pretend for a living, that's your job. Like standing around going, uh, you're this guy and you're this girl and then you say this and you say this. That's what you do on the playground when you're a kid or when you're in your friend's backyard or your own backyard. And, you know, I've we've seen how this industry can infantilize people in an incredibly negative uh, way uh, and people take advantage of that and stuff it infantilized me in a, a way of like um, uh, you tell stories um, so you're special and I'm like yeah I feel special because I've now got a storytelling job but all that specialness can get ripped away once somebody tells you you did a bad job mm -hmm. and suddenly you're like uh, how, uh, you know and it took me 12 years to navigate that to navigate between head and heart and to grow to the understanding of like no matter what you do some people are going to like it some people are going to hate it don't worry like you know i spent so much time trying to second guess 
what will critics think? You know, what are they going to like and stuff like that? And I, it took me a while to remember that's not how you started all this. Like, I didn't make clerks going like, what will the critics think? I made it just going like, I got to see it. I want to see what it looks like. And so I kind of found that again, you know, like I, I worked for a company, Miramax, that like pray, prized good reviews over everything, almost over a box office. So it became part of like, you know, I'm not going to say this in a negative way, but you were indoctrinated to be like, you know, us more than the mainstream movies, like without critics, like we're nothing. And so it just took a point, a long time to get to that point where I was like, look, I can't think about that. You know, it's not even like, oh, to hell with critics. It's more about like, I can't work for them and I can't work for the fans. Like, cause sometimes the fans like play you like an avatar, you know? And when you're doing the thing that they would have done if they were you, you're all good. But the moment you're like, well, I'm gonna try this other thing. And they're like, no, why would you do that? Like, that's them going like, well, I wouldn't do that if I was you and yeah. you're my guy that I play. So if you're not representing like me, like you always do, then who am I and who are you at that point? So you, you know that like, you know, interest is fleeting you're only as good as the audience feels about the story you tell and so i reached that point where i was like the only thing that got me here was being me i should really just think about that and for good or for bad and that means maybe that i don't achieve the heights in my career that others can and do um because at the end of the day like that's not as important to me as as doing my thing you know like i people are always asking me like you love these marvel movies man Are you ever going to direct one and i'm like well number one they'd never let me but number two no like that's that's my my jam i love to watch those that's my fuel that's how i get entertained you're listening to kevin smith on the richard Krause show clerk a documentary about his life and work is on vod right now but like they got millions of talented people to make those movies Ain't nobody, nobody interested in making a Kevin Smith movie except Kevin Smith. And so if anyone's, if I don't do it, who the hell is going to do it? Why would I compete in a field that I'm not good at when I could stand alone in a field of one? And, and, and kind of like I got to a place where I'm like, look, they can say what they want about the movie and whatnot. But like you could get to try. My, my goal was always to get to an unimpeachable position as an artist which was never going to happen there's always going to be if if it's a self-expression you can definitely expect some people to express back to you that they don't like it and stuff so in lieu of that in lieu of just like all affection you know and in your mind you look at other filmmakers and stuff like i always like man what is steven spielberg everybody loves him it doesn't matter what he does they all love it and stuff like that um you know i'm like is it quality is that's what i'm missing or is it like subject matter? Is it that okay. I'm just not interested in like telling a story that would appeal to everybody unless I could do it through a very narrow pathway that like some people don't want to go down. Like if you can make it through a Kevin Smith movie, sometimes you find some like really cool things in it by the end. But some people are like, look, life's too short and I'd rather make it through a good movie and stuff. So I, you know, rather than play to those cats or try to win everybody over, I just realized like, I'm just gonna do me and, and let the chips fall where they may. And so far, so good. Like I'm not, I'm not as, uh, I guess I'm not as like well-respected as I would be if I did bigger movies or and they made more money at the box office. Um, 
and I'm certainly not as as rich as I would be if I made movies like that. But oh my God, I'm so happy, Richard. Like I, I I love being Kevin Smith and I love making Kevin Smith movies, man. Lately, I've been writing Kevin Smith comics and that is completely masturbatory because they're all about Kevin Smith movies. So it's just me like playing with my toys over and over. That's what Clerks 3 was, man. Yeah. We started this summer on my 51st birthday and it was the best summer camp I've ever been to in my life. I never went to a summer camp. I wish they were all like this. We made a movie and it wasn't just making a movie. It was a movie where we remade a movie that we made many years ago because the premise of Clerks 3 is that they essentially make Clerks. So we were reframing the same shots that we had shot 28 years ago. It was just a blast, man. And now, you know, is it gonna win awards? No, is it gonna make huge box office? No, but it makes me happy. That means it's probably gonna make a small cross-section of people who are still into my nonsense happy as well. And that's good enough for me. I, I've written a bunch of books. And whenever I come up with an idea for a book and I'm pitching it to the publisher, I always think all we have to do is find 10,000 people that agree with me. Yeah, yes. you know, And if we do that, everyone's going to walk away happy from this. That's the way to think about it, man. Because yeah. if you have to think about it from like a different perspective of like, you have to entrance the world. <laughs> Like when I was a kid in 1994, clerks could entrance the world because there weren't a lot of choices. Can you imagine the neo filmmaker entering the field right now who has to try to entrance the world and just get through the, the depth of content to have their thing even be noticed in a sea of original material? Like I would not happen today. I was a product of my era. Thank God I happened in the 90s because. Mm -hmm. If I made Clerks today, you never would have heard about me. Nobody ever would have. Like, nope. I'd be lucky if I could put together a thousand people. They tell you, if you can get a thousand people uh, a month to like, you know, be a, a, your fan or, or buy whatever it is you're selling, quit your job, that is now your job. And the notion of like, if we could just get 10,000 people to buy this is like a mountain one can climb. Because if you think the other way of like, we got to get everybody. You would nobody would ever do anything. Nope. It's too daunting. But when you put it through that prism, it's a brilliant way to break it down to be like, you know, it's a number and it's a it's an impressive number, but it's not undoable. And yep. that's and that's how the adventure begins. Life lesson number two: eat your vegetables. <laughs> yeah. Good lord, absolutely. Something I never did. I've always been able to maintain like it wasn't talent that got me here. It was luck and timing. The only talent was actually making a thing that could be seen that luck and timing could affect. That I give the young credit, uh, Kevin Smith credit for, for understanding that like a first step needed to be taken. That kid never understood he had to take a step toward vegetables until he nearly dropped dead. And you know, that's that when, when the doctor told him that like, you have 100% occlusion in the LAD, that's the artery that goes across the front of your heart, 100% uh, blockage. Um, he goes, uh, that means you're having a widow make her heart attack. And I was like, what's that? And he was just like, oh, I do, must I explain it? He's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. widow maker is in 80% of the cases when you have 100% blockage, the patient always dies. So I'm going to put you in the 20% because I'm good at my job. And he did. He saved my life. And the next day, a nutritionist comes into the hospital room and starts talking about, well, your cholesterol is off the charts, so much so that you're here in the hospital. We should talk about your diet. And I was like, okay. And my kid was there and my kid had never gone through anything horrible. So my near death experience was pretty traumatic for her. And so the, the nutritionist was like, you know, 
we found that a plant-based diet is very effective in cutting cholesterol. And my kid was like, yes, dad, please, please do it. And she'd been a vegan for three years. And so she saw the opportunity. You know, I was scared, man. I almost died. And here was a nutritionist in a hospital telling me like, vegetables will save your life, dummy. So my kid, I know she loves me. So she said all this. She's like, please go vegan. And I said, I will try it. I said, I ate the way I wanted to my whole life. I thought I was so clever. Um, because Clerks was, you know, made my career at age 22, I figured I could eat cake for breakfast for the rest of my life because I was the smartest guy in the room. I said, but I'm going to try it your way. I'm going to try six months. I'm going to try just being vegan and, and give that a shot. And my kid, I know she did it out of love, but she's also very strategic. And as a hardcore vegan, she was like, if I could flip this guy, what a big mouth he has. Like, oh, he'll be a big get for the vegan community. So I did. I, I went vegan. I went plant-based. Everything I eat is, is plant-based. I, I, it'll take a long time for me to get plant-based to the point of like, I'll have some broccoli, please. But everything I eat comes from a, a plant. All right. Next life lesson. Think outside the box. So you make Red State. And I remember uh, meeting you here in Toronto, you brought Red State here, you showed it at a big theater, it's no longer here called the Underground Theater, but you yeah. four-walled it, you took yeah. it around yourself, you did an auction, to, uh, which you bid on yourself and declared yourself the winner for the distribution rights. Yes. Uh, and, you know, say what you will about that method. It means that you're thinking differently, that you're always looking to the next thing. Uh, that to me was the life lesson. Think outside the box. We were already kind of existing in a weird space of that movie. At that point, I was like, what if we took this out ourselves? Like, this is what I was going to do with Clerks. I, you know, I didn't think Clerks was going to be picked up. I thought I would have to four wall it, rent like the Atlantic Highlands Twin Cinema and then the Middletown Movie Theater and take it around New Jersey. And I, you know, I'm not going to say I was robbed of that. Like, thankfully, the movie got picked up, but I did miss that opportunity that I had been preparing for. Like, I was ready to four wall the movie. And then uh, since then, you know, I built up a career as standing in front of people and giving Q and A's and trying to be funny and stuff. And so over the years, those two things combined where I was like, what if we took a movie out on tour and, you know, I did a Q and A afterwards, that way you could sell the ticket for more, same money I get from standing there talking by myself, I could get for a movie if I show them a movie beforehand. And so we, we toured the movie our, ourselves. You're listening to Kevin Smith on The Richard Krause Show. Clark, a documentary about his life and work, is on VOD right now. For me, it was like this incredible experience. Financially, yes, it's great. Like people, I've seen people dismiss me online going like, oh, he just figured out a way to charge $65 for a movie ticket. That's brilliant. And I'm like, well, I think it is. It really worked <laughs> out for me. But it allows me the freedom to make the kind of stuff I want to make. I don't have to make something where I'm like, well, this has to work for everybody because I can make a thing that is like, this just has to work for these people, those 10,000 people. Yep. And I'll take it right to them. And they'll be so happy to have it, man. It will feel incredible. That tour was one of the greatest experiences I ever had in my life. Touring Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Like every night, it was like going to church where I was both the priest and Jesus at the same time, man. Like just being celebrated and the celebrant. All right, so that's some of the stuff that I learned from Clerk. Uh, and there's other stuff too. What I wanna know, though, is what you learned from watching this movie, because you're in an unusual situation. Not many of us get to sit back and have someone else evaluate your life, put it together scene by scene, uh, and then uh, say, here's the thing. Here's the thing I made about you. Did you learn anything about yourself? I did, and he's gonna 
love this, but uh, Malcolm Ingram is the director of the Clerk, the documentary about my life. Malcolm is a Canadian. I met him at the Toronto Film Festival in 1994, where we were showing Clerks, and he's been one of my best friends ever since. Um, when I had my heart attack, my wife was like, what, what can I do for you? I was like, please bring Malcolm out here. And I convalesced with Malcolm. So he's one of my nearest, dearest friends. He will love hearing this. What I learned from watching Clerk was that Malcolm Ingram is a much better filmmaker than I am. Malcolm Ingram made my favorite Kevin Smith film ever. I've been trying, I've been making Kevin Smith films since 1993. And he made one where I was like, well, that's the best Kevin Smith film yet. And Kevin Smith has nothing to do with it. So what I realized is I probably should have Malcolm make all my movies and stuff. Just tell him the idea and have him run with it. Um, I, uh, I, I also uh, like, I think I walked away going, wow. Like I knew we did a bunch of stuff. Like I'm, I'm, I'm self-aware enough to know that I spin a lot of plates, but when it was laid out like that, and you know, over the course of nearly two hours and there was stuff missing, like that's when I was like, good God, we've done a lot. And that was what Malcolm promised. Malcolm was like, let me make this movie about your life. And I was like, I don't know, man, when they make documentaries about people, that's when they die or like, you know, everything falls apart for him or something like that. But we had gone to Sundance and we'd seen a documentary about Richard Linklater and it was lovely, but Malcolm's like, I think I can make a better documentary about you. And I was like, well, we'll never find out. And then a couple <laughs> of years later, he really pitched me hard on it, man. And he was just like, you don't understand who you are. He's like, you're too in it. He's going, but I've been there the whole time and I've been outside. I have perspective on you that you'll never have on yourself because you're too close to it. And he's like, and you're too Catholic because you can't see certain things. Like you undercut yourself at every point. You'll say something and then you put in a disclaimer because you're so worried that you're not worthy. He's like, let me just show you how people see you. And he did, like, it was crazy. I watched the movie and I wept, you know? I mean, that's not saying much, I cry a lot, but I cried, man, because I was like, that kid, I felt so happy for the kid in the movie. I was like, oh God, I hope it works out for him. He seems like a nice guy, this Kevin Smith. And Malcolm was able to, to deliver that, man. So yeah, that's what I learned that Malcolm way better at this than me. And for years, we thought it was vice versa. We would sit around at the quick stop and we started noticing these ads for these midnight movies. In the car ride home, you could see this intensity in his eyes. This is what I've been waiting for my whole life. I wanna do this. That was Kevin Smith on The Richard Krause Show. He is the subject of a new documentary called Clerk, which is on VOD right now. Big thanks to Kevin Smith for coming by. A huge thanks to Jan Arden for being here. Find Descendant, her 15th album, wherever you legally download and buy music. Of course, the biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krause. Stay happy, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weird, and we'll talk again soon.